today on the Orthodox Ethos Podcast. Have Faith, Examining Homeschooling and Compulsory State Education. This lecture was originally recorded in April of 2018 at the St. Emilia West Conference in Dunlap, California. May we all be given the courage in the struggle for home education and imparting the faith to our children. Well, it is a, a great joy and a blessing for me to be here back in California, as Father Paul said. I grew up in uh, East Bay from 10, 10 to 19 before I went away to college and spent um, my formative three or four years before I went to Greece in, uh, in this area, going to St. John, the Relics, and Platina, and many other places. So it is, it's a joy to be back. Actually, in this place right here, I met uh, Elder Ephraim the first time 24 years ago. So this, is, this brings back a lot of memories. My topic today is have faith. And my, uh, the directions I received from the um, director of the conference, who I want to thank um, for inviting me. Uh, she's done a tremendous job. Uh, thank you very much, Christine, for inviting me and for allowing me to to be here and speak to you, as well as to Father Noah, who's an old friend on the East Coast who's involved as well. Uh, and the topic, uh, I was told, this needs to be motivational. We need to give people some courage in this struggle for uh, home education and not just for uh, educating, but actually imparting the faith. And I think this is one of the main reasons why we're all here and why we're all are believers in homeschooling and struggling to, 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 uh, to continue, uh, is that we understand what's at stake is not simply uh, the education of our children, but the faithfulness of our children to Christ. And this is why uh, uh, today I'm going to focus a little bit, and I'm gonna, as a jumping off point, we're going to be looking at um, homeschooling in relation to state compulsory schooling and the history. Because I think it's important for us uh, to see the big picture. A lot of us, we start out homeschooling, and we're looking at our children, uh, small children, we're looking at the various things we need to do to, to impart them the, the basics, and a lot of us are uneasy. Are we really capable? Can we really do this? Um, but if we step back and we see the larger picture, I think it's very encouraging. It's also very frightening when we see the history of compulsory uh, schooling and what homeschooling really, why it is so necessary, but it's also encouraging because we see that uh, it is so very necessary, not for our, just for ourselves, but for the church and for the survival of the church as we go forward. I started out my homeschooling uh, in Greece uh, about 18 years ago when I was married. And you might not know, but in Greece, it's actually illegal to homeschool. Uh, it's not allowed to homeschool. You have to send your children to the state school. And it's kind of ironic that here we are in California, and you are free to homeschool, but in Greece you are not. So 
as an American citizen, uh, we, uh, I, I did it anyway, essentially. So I was an illegal homeschooler for my entire 18 years in Greece. And I want to tell you a little story about what I encountered with the Greek state schooling system, because I think it, it's encouraging, uh, because God is above all and encourages us in everything we do. So about two years into homeschooling, I was in the, uh, um, in the village up in the mountain outside Thessaloniki, where we lived, a very small village. Eventually, someone said, you know, Father Peter, who's the priest of the village, is not sending his kids to school. What's going on? And they told the school down in the next, uh, next city, and they called us in. And they said, uh, you need to be sending your kids to school. And we said, well, actually, no, we don't. Uh, we're, uh, I'm an American citizen in America. This is the kind of education system that we have. And uh, here, he, our children are enrolled online. We were actually enrolled with St. John of Shanghai and San Francisco uh, Academy. Um, distance learning, we called it. And uh, we presented him the paperwork. And he didn't really know what to make of it because probably in Greece, there's about five or ten people who homeschool, and they're probably all foreigners. Uh, in any case, he said, well, I have to, I have to submit the paperwork to the, to the state because uh, this is a requirement. You have to come, you have to send your kids to school. And, and then he tried to convince us why it's so important to send our kids to school. And of course, in Greece, comparatively, you might say, well, why, Father Peter, did you feel it's so necessary? You'll see after I present about require, uh, compulsory state education, why I think it's necessary. And of course, comparatively, 50, 18 years ago, things were much better and much, probably much better than California in terms of what kind of influences that they were bringing into the school system. But it goes beyond just the threats, the moral problems in the school. It goes, it goes to the whole heart of uh, what it means to raise a child, how to raise a child, how that child is going to react to you, and when he should start learning, and when he should start or she should start leaving the house and being depart, uh, far from the mother and the father. There's a lot more to homeschooling than just the education. It's much more involved. And it's, uh, the comp compulsory state education is actually much more diabolical than it, than it, than it looks uh, when you understand the history. So we stood our ground, and he sent the papers to the state of Greece, the uh, Department of Education, and we never heard from them. And we did our education for the next 15 years at Greece, all of our children. And I still don't know what happened. But my guess is they just said, why bother with a crazy priest up in the mountains from America? And, uh, and, th and then we learned as we went on, there were more Greeks becoming uh, interested in homeschooling in Greece. And we learned that other people had fought to have control over the education of their children as well in Greece. And they had, uh, they had been successful, and they had sent their children, some of them abroad, others they had done uh, via the internet. Uh, and increasingly, what's happened in Greece, this is something I'm sure most of you don't know, since that time till today, the, the um, introduction of transgenderism, homosexual, uh, uh, homosexuality, teaching sexual education in a and very young children, uh, and many other things have been introduced into the, into the schools in Greece. And there have been more and more people who are interested in homeschooling in Greece. Um, so let me begin by going through, we'll stop, we'll talk about also about the whole question of faith and give some examples, and uh, hopefully um, we'll even have some time at the end for question and answer. 
So this, this will be a little bit repetitive for some of you because if you've been homeschooling, you probably know some of this in the beginning, but I think once we get to the compulsory state education uh, history, that'll be hopefully um, uh, interesting and, and new for, for all of you. But we're going to look at the compulsory state education, homeschooling around the world today in some of the places. Uh, I've shortened the, the uh, presentation for, uh, for today because some of it was quite detailed in, in terms of Europe. Uh, the history of compulsory state education and why it's not an option, but it's a necessity that we um, homeschool our, our children. So many times people come and say, well, you know, homeschooling is so restrictive. The child is not allowed to socialize. In Greece, especially, that was the, the line that I heard continually is that you have to socialize your children, have to become a part of society. And of course, who isn't for good socialization and learning all the skills of the social life? The question is, what kind of socialization and what are they learning? Uh, as Orthodox Christians, first and foremost, we want to impart to the children the path of the commandments. We initiate them into the mystery of Christ. Uh, have them come to a, um, uh, have in, in their lives examples of virtue. And so, socialization for its own sake is not good. Socialization so that they might become children of God and brothers and sisters in Christ is absolutely what we all want. And in the popular uh, mind, of, uh, which is not looking at it from the Orthodox Christian perspective, uh, it is very, um, the myth is that to be a homeschooler, your children is gonna be isolated and afraid and the reality is it's the opposite. If you're doing uh, your, your homework as a homeschooler, of course, it's all dependent on the grace of God and our struggle. And the reality is that public schooling is impersonal at the end of the day. And it's not coming to deal with the needs of each child. It's not personal one-to-one, -one, and it's not uh, going at the pace that the child needs. So I was just uh, in New York talking to one of our fellow professors, and... Uh, she, she had to stop. She was pregnant. She gave birth. Uh, first time in the history of the Holy Trinity Seminary that we had somebody give birth because we have very few female professors at the seminary. And she had to send her child to a, a private school for about six months. And she said uh, after being homeschooled and after being uh, tutored by a, I think it was a Montessori uh, type education. And she said her daughter was extremely bored and restless. And this is one of the side effects is when a child is really engaged and, and early on and learns to love learning and love discovery and love um, uh, the interaction on a personal level, when they go to school, they're, they're, they're very restless and oftentimes very restless. And, um, and then things, bad things start to happen. Uh, very bright, bright children usually have this problem. They, they, they have so much energy and so much ability to learn that if you're not continually feeding them, then they get involved in things that are not profitable. So this is, uh, this is the, the myth of that we're very restrictive in homeschooling and it's deficient uh, and, and just the opposite in, in reality. I'm, so I'm speaking to the choir here, but it unites families. It gives students opportunity to excel. It widens horizons and it protects innocence. One of the things that the world's not going to tell you it need, you need to do. The world's not going to come and say, the purity of the soul of your child is most important. No one's going to say that from the state school or, 
or from the uh, society. And yet that's one of the most important things you can do as a parent is to protect them from defilement in, in images and in uh, concepts that, are, that is not gonna happen in a, a social setting uh, in contemporary schools. Uh, it's gonna deepen faith and morality. And one of the reasons why it's gonna do that is that it's go the child's gonna see much more of his parents or her parents living out the faith on a daily basis. One of the great blessings we had in Greece is that my children were constantly with me on the feast days and they were going to church and we were going to pilgrimages and we had this restriction that school would have given to us was not present. And so as a family, but also in terms of the faith, they had many more opportunities to uh, grow. Uh, it promotes also healthy uh, children for a variety of reasons because usually children are getting sick in school and not just physically, but also spiritually. One of the other myths is that homeschooling is a great innovation and that uh, we're, this is something that started in the 20th century. In fact, homeschooling is the norm and the innovation is compulsory state education. From the time of the fourth century with the church fathers in terms of our, the church's life, uh, elementary education ages seven to 14 was done exclusively at home. Seven to 14, St. Basil the Great, when do you think he went to school? Anybody? The great St. Basil that everybody uh, refers to in terms of uh, classical education and Christian understanding of it. When do you think he went to school? Anybody know? About 15 years old, when he actually left the house and went to school. And secondary education from 14 or 15 on. So this uh, idea that children need to leave at five, and now it's even four or three to go to a, um, a babysitter, uh, is, the, is, is the exception, it's the innovation, and it's uh, uh, very dangerous and very uh, um, problematic for the development of the child to leave his mother or father so early. And so I say here, as I just said, kindergarten and daycare were entirely unknown during the ancient times. The majority of the saints were homeschooled. If you look at the lives of the saints and you pay attention to the lives of the saints, you'll see that the idea of state schools didn't exist. Uh, education was done as a, on a tutoring basis, and um, the, uh, the norm was, uh, as I said, much later than, than it is today. Uh, St. Basil the Great himself supported the personalization of instruction as something necessary. In fact, this personalization was on the level of individuals, not of groups or students. So when they talked about schools, in the first millennium at least, they didn't mean universities like we see it with massive amounts of people. They meant a teacher or two and a few students. That was the school in a lot of places. So very few people were educated at the level uh, that we tend to think. We think back in the ancient times, we say people were educated. Well, it's very few of them were educated comparatively to what they are today. So today we have a massive increase in mass education of many people, but the level generally has declined uh, immensely. And when do you think, I don't know if you saw that already, but when do you think compulsory and state education began? Right at the beginning of the 18th, 19th century, 1780s. So that's a 200-year-old, uh, and that slowly developed. It did not, only in the 20th century do we see the kind of state education that we uh, existed, that exists today, and uh, we'll talk about that. You already know how to do this, but how to put it into practice. This was a, a presentation I originally gave to clergy in Greece, because the people were in, asking me, clergy, uh, at a clergy conference, and they said, 
what is this homeschooling that you're doing? So I presented to him. So some of this is more applicable to people who are totally new to homeschooling. But there is a variety, a wide variety of things that people can do in, in terms of uh, homeschooling in North America, um, in terms of interaction with other homeschoolers. Uh, and, of course, the Orthodox community is not that big, but, and one needs to have uh, uh, discernment on what kind of interaction you're going to have with other non-Orthodox. But there's plenty of things available in most communities today so you can take advantage of that as a homeschooler. I'm going to move on, though, so we can look at, these are some examples of Ms. Father Noah, of different, different things and different ways people can put their homeschooling into practice. But my concern is more in the uh, history today. Homeschooling worldwide, I don't know if you've seen this, but this is um, an example of, of actually more and more states are allowing homeschooling at different levels of legality, and so um, the yellow is uh, with presuppositions. Uh, there are a few states without presuppositions at all, not many. Uh, the red, are it's a regal. So in some, some parts of the world, especially in Eastern Europe, a lot of places, it's illegal to homeschool. But that's changing every, every day. In Europe, there are 30 countries uh, that it is, it is legal to homeschool, although the homeschooling movements are pretty small in most of those countries. And there are six countries that it's illegal, and Germany being the most well-known and most repressive. And after that, um, Sweden, actually, I'm just not listed. Sweden is also, it's technically legal, but there's a lot of repression. And Slovakia, Bulgaria, Greece, Orthodox countries that do not allow homeschooling, Romania, and Holland. And now, to, to, it is understandable in some ways why an Orthodox country would, be, would not be open to homeschooling as much as a Western country, because th there, there, would not, there would not have been the need, the historical need for homeschooling, uh, and the rationale would, would, would be harder to, to, to sell in a homogeneous society like Greece. So there is, uh, historically, there is reasons why people would frown on homeschooling in Greece. The minority with the rise of many minorities and the decline of Orthodox education in, home, in, in the state schools, though, uh, makes uh, homeschooling a lot more, uh, makes a lot more sense to homeschooling in Orthodox countries as we go forward. In England and France, there's um, thousands of homeschoolers, but it's always a uh, tenuous relationship. They, 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 although it grows slowly in England, it doesn't really... <clears throat> Uh, hasn't really established itself, and there's always pressure, and there's always laws. Right now, there's another law that just was introduced to change it and make it more restrictive. And so it, there's always uh, a struggle in these countries, even though it is legal, uh, to, to homeschools. 8,000 as of a couple of years ago in France, and, and also in cooperating with, um, with the state. Uh, this doesn't, we don't need to talk about this because you probably already know about that. So these are some of the some of the things I found a few years ago, which showed that actually, as you probably already know, homeschoolers uh, did better on tests and the academic. Because that's the main question that people bring up, especially in Europe, is that well, homeschoolers really uh, academically are not going to flourish. In fact, they flourish and they do better than most students in the public schools on a regular. Uh, in, in most in most cases, that's the. That's been the case. Now, 
here's where we get to the little history of compulsory school. And I, and I, I want to go slow here and talk a little bit about the history because it's very instructive. And I, this is my, my opening page, and it's not an accident I put this intentionally to get your attention, because uh, actually the spirit behind compulsory state schooling is not about school and not about education at all. It's about control. That's the history of compulsory uh, schooling, state schooling, state education. It's always been about control. And it's an, uh, it's, there's an ideology behind it and that, that pushes it, and it's about controlling of the, of the society and also um, coercing the society in a certain direction. And you can, this becomes clear when we actually see uh, the history of compulsory education. So what do we mean by this, the phrase compulsory state education? Compulsory state education is not the citizen's right to access the education, but rather it is the state's right to compel parents to send their children to the public school. That's the proper understanding. Parents, when they're in charge, as they are in, and recognize the United States to be in charge, uh, can choose many ways to educate their children. But when it's compulsory state education, those choices are no longer available to the, the parent. So the correct stance should be to provide the citizen with free access to education through various means, public and private. Uh, one uh, researcher says that the history of promotion of compulsory education is not directed by altruism, but by the desire of forcing the population into a mold designed by the regime. And that's how it started when it did start in um, Prusa. Uh, what, what are the, the, the roots of, of compulsory education? Well, they start with the Reformation. And it's not an accident to start with the Reformation. The Reformation was the force behind the introduction of compulsory education in Germany in the 16th century. So the reformers wanted to, uh, in particular Martin Luther, wanted to have parents conform to the state system. He devised the school plan, which was later applied in Germany. He considered schools as a means of, uh, well, the Greek word here, uh, of implanting the ideas into the whole population. He was unrelenting that the state should employ supreme strictness against citizens who would, that would not become Lutherans. This is the age of Europe where people were persecuted for not following the state religion, including many um, Protestants who were persecuted by other Protestants. And his views left an indelible mark on Germany, which to this day imposes a totalitarian approach to education. On the other hand, John Calvin, introduced compulsory education when he was uh, ahead of, the head of his religious state. He wanted schools to serve the spread of Calvinism. No liberty or right would supplant the state's power. He considered the support of Calvinism to be the end and purpose of the state. As Calvinists spread to France and Scotland, compulsory education spread along with them to the other states. And English Puritans would have been influenced by Calvin's ideas brought compulsory education to New England. In the, king, the king of Prussia was the first one to, know, to really impose this on a, on a statewide basis. And he was known as, this is Frederick William I in the late uh, 18th century, mid 18th century. He was known as the soldier king and for his monarchist authoritarianism, he increased the Prussian army, created a centralizing bureaucracy, imposed limitations on trade, 
and inaugurated the Prussian compulsory school system, the first national system in Europe. He says, the historian says that he treated his kingdom like a schoolroom and like a fervent headmaster, he whipped his subjects mercilessly. So the whole point was to create the school system so that he could have people in the mechanism of the state. This philosopher who, uh, in his address to German people, right at the turn of the uh, 18th, 19th century, 18th century, uh, he was promoting the state as an instrument of societal progress, a part of which was also compulsory education. The aims of the utopian system, which began in 1819, were obedient soldiers, servile workers, docile civil servants, compliant administrative assistants, citizens that think similarly concerning the major issues. His aim was not to develop understanding, but to socialize the children in obedience and submission. So socialization was always at the heart of compulsory state education. It was to socialize. So when people say, you need to be in the state schools because you need to be socialized, they're right. That's what the main point of state education is. It's not about education. Of course, there are people there who really want education in spite of the system, and there are people who are getting educated in spite of the system, but we're talking about how it began and why it began politically. Intentionally, in this beginning, this first uh, uh, example of state education, only 8% of the children were given secondary education. Secondary education was not open to all the students. Only 92% uh, of the children were educated at the elementary level, intentionally left there, because the idea was not to bring everybody up to a grand level of renaissance uh, level uh, of, of erudition. The point was to create a working force that could, could serve the new uh, uh, and rising s power of the state and, and the industrialization. This is a uh, list of when compulsory education was introduced in these countries. I've highlighted Greece in 1834. And that was, uh, at that point, it was just after the revolution, so it was very young. But the, immediately, uh, when it was free from the Turks, Greece uh, adopted, or it was forced on Greece, actually, by Otto, the new king that was brought in. Uh, he brought the German system of education uh, and limited almost got rid of the reading of the holy books in uh, grade school. And so that was in 1834. In America from 1852 to 1918, we don't have exact dates, but it eventually got to the point where there was 72%, one of the highest of all the states, and very quickly rose in America, and thanks to people like John Dewey, and centralization, and closing of all the one-room schoolhouses in the last, last part of the 19th century. Uh, so 72% of the people by 1918, by the First World War, were already in state schools in America. And that was seen especially, as necess especially necessary in America because we had such a divergent uh, population and they wanted to form again a common mind and a, and a society. So again, in America, we see that what the, the main thrust here is not education per se, but socialization and the needs of the society or the state. So that, the 19th century saw the slow rise of compulsory education, but that was still only third, fourth, fifth, at the most sixth grade. It wasn't until the totalitarian governments in the 19th century that you had this very quick increase to um, eighth, ninth, 10th, and even 12th grade. And you can see here, um, this was all happening right about the time of the First World War until the Second World War. And the first to imply 
to apply compulsory education and declare homeschooling illegal were these states here. In Russia, right at the time of the revolution, Vladimir Lenin introduced a new system of universal compulsory education. Lenin established four years of compulsory elementary education in the countryside and seven years in the cities. He increased them in the cities. In 1938, the National Socialist leadership under Hitler signed the Law for Schools, by which it rendered homeschooling and every other alternative educational method illegal. And this law is still on the books. This is still the law that when they go and they check, they say, what, is it legal, is it not legal? What, this is the law they're referring to. It hasn't essentially changed since that time. In Italy in 1923, Mussolini and the Minister of Education uh, by the guy by the name of Giovanni Gento created a new education system suitable for the fascist regime. They increased the post education to 14 years. So that was the, that's what we see eventually happening all over the world, but they were, they were one of the first. So right now in, in Europe, America is not the case, thanks be to God. Uh, but in Europe is really a state of war between homeschoolers and a few states where we have repression. And Germany and Sweden are the most notable. Uh, Germany is the most authoritarian in the world. They persecute homeschoolers. Uh, they have fines, imprisonment, and uh, even abduction of children by the authorities. You can go online. You can read stories of this. And when we had one story here, I think it was in Tennessee. They had sought asylum and stayed for a few years, a family. But then eventually they were forced. Um, I thought they were forced back. I lost track of the story. But I think they were forced back. Yeah, to Germany. Uh, in Sweden, there's been some very high-profile cases of the, of the state taking away children who were homeschooled, uh, and one in particular, I remember, where she was on her way to the airport. I think she was at the airport, and they, they went and, and took her child away. And, and to this day, as far as I know, that family has not gotten the child back. So, and that was on the basis... There was no other legal claim except that she was homeschooling and... Uh, um, so there's some other examples we don't need to get into. But so this is, this is something that still in Europe is still hotly contested, much more than in America. Now, one of the international documents that's been signed that is ostensibly for the uh, sake of the human rights of the child has within it a lot of language, socialist, communist language, which uh, many people... Uh, point out is very detrimental and problematic for the freedom of parents to homeschool. So this is uh, something that um, also exemplifies the struggle, the war uh, against the freedom of parents to raise their children and, and, and teach their children as they see fit. It. So this document denies parents the right to exempt their children from sexual education class. Now this has not been enforced in a lot of places, but this is, this is a document that's been passed at the United Nations. It imposes upon Christian schools the instruction of other beliefs and denies them the right of teaching that the church possesses the only true faith. I think there's something right now in the state of California, isn't there? Uh, is anybody familiar with this? I just read this yesterday. The state of California is looking at a law that would, it would penalize schools and, and, and I think churches, anybody who's paid to teach, uh, if, they did not, if they taught that homosexuality was, a, was an abnormality. So it's right now in the state house in, in California. So it's something similar to what you see here, this kind of thinking. 
It gives children the ability of choosing their religion while limiting the power of the parents to only giving advice concerning religion. So this uh, idea that children from a young age should be able to decide if they want to go to church or not, even though they're under the guidance and care of their parents. It enables the state to intervene in any of the parents' decisions if the authorities judge that these decisions were not in the child's interest. That's, that's exactly what's happening in Sweden. That's the kind of approach the state has for the children that have been uh, taken away in Sweden. It gives children the right of audience with the authorities for every decision of the parents with which the child disagrees. It gives children the right to access, uh, access information on sexual education, abortions, and including uh, included without the knowledge or consent of the parents, denies parents the right of enforcing justified corporal punishment on their children, spanking, and it denies parents the right of homeschooling, uh, just uh, as it was being proposed in the United Kingdom. That law actually failed. That was a law back in 2009, which was going to deny homeschooling in England, but it did not pass. So right now in Europe, there's a crisis uh, in terms of homeschooling and and there's a lot of repression. Uh, and uh, J.S. Mill said 250 years ago, no friend of orthodoxy, but he's right here. A general state education is a mere contrivance for molding people to be exactly like one another. And in proportion to its efficient, and as it is, in proportion as it is efficient and successful, it establishes a despotism over the mind, leading by a natural tendency to one over the body. So again. People realize this when this whole movement in the 1800s for compulsory state education, there were people, there were philosophers, there were people in Europe who said, this is not about the interests of the children, it's not about the interests of the parents, it's about the interests of the state and forming minds. So in this context, why am I telling all this in a talk called Have Faith? Well, because it's not just about you and your child, it's actually about the survival of the church, it's about the survival of Christian identity, it's about keeping our children pure from an encroaching, ever-encroaching demonic uh, uh, system of control. And if you see and understand the history of compulsory education, you realize how, much it's, uh, how, mu how important it is for us to retain uh, control over the education of the children. It's, it's, it's a matter not of just of education, as I said in the beginning, but of faith and of Christian identity and survival. Um, so three, three things to consider why it is so necessary, and it's not an option, it's a necessity. It's very obvious, I think, in America, but in Greece, it's, it's perhaps even more obvious in many ways because we have the stark contrast of a Greek Orthodox culture society being trampled upon by European and uh, Greek secular uh, atheist uh, ideology. So it's very, it's very startling in Greece to see the change within, I was there 20 years, I saw the change of 20 years. People who've been uh, there for 50 years have obviously seen this massive change. So it's very clear uh, to us that the state will be used to impose anti-Christian ideology on the children. So that's the first reason why it's essential. The second thing is that increasingly um, public education, public schools are not educating. I was just talking to a um, Romanian uh, woman who teaches in a school in Pennsylvania and, uh, and I said to her, well, how, how's it going in the school there? And she says, well, I, I'm pretty much a babysitter. I go there and I take care of the kids and I make sure they don't hit each other. Uh, and that's where, we're, that's where we've de devolved in terms of state education in many places. Because 
of this dissolution of uh, morality and society, increasingly they're, 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 there's no expectation that children, there's no, not easy to impart education to children who are not being raised in homes where that, that is being encouraged. And number three, instead of being a place for learning, the state education is becoming a reform school of the new man. And just give you some examples of this. Uh, state education today is, as we said, in the hands of anti-Christian forces. It, it has a monopoly, at least in Europe, it does on education. Uh, the rights of parents over the education of children is violated. Um, and um, besides, it, obviously, we all know also what children go through if they're Christians and they're a minority in a, in a school. We know what they go through in terms of bullying and um, uh, pressure to conform and to, uh, to go with the, the, the broad, broad path. Uh, and the state actively influences the formation of the conscience, the ethos of the behavior of the Christians rejecting Christian education at home. But one of the things that's subtle but very important is this ethos, the orthodox ethos. How, how is it going to be cultivated when the children don't have examples? So one of the most important things about educating your child at home and why we have to have faith and be courageous and remain uh, in this, no matter what outcome we might have educational, educationally. I remember many times uh, with my children, uh, others did, bo uh, did better, others did worse. Uh, I was um, on some days a good teacher and other days a very poor teacher. In some, some uh, uh, classes, I was a terrible teacher and we ended up getting someone else come in. So there's, you know, there's a, a plenty of reasons to say, well, you know, I'm not doing the best for my children. But in fact, those aren't the first, in, uh, first reasons why you homeschool. The education of the child is, is not the first and foremost reason why we homeschool. And so you have to uh, check that, that despair, that, uh, that uh, uh, lack of courage or lack of confidence. And always remember that uh, what we're imparting here is much more. And it's not just on the level of the reason, it's not just a level of preparation to become a good member of society, but it's to remain faithful to Christ. We said before, also, besides the fact that um, there's anti-Christian mentality in, in state schools, there's also very poor education increasingly. And so an another reason for avoiding uh, public schools would be the poor education. I don't want to be repetitive. Someone says here, the, the, the aim of totalitarian education has never been to instill convictions, but to destroy the capacity to form any conviction. And then finally, the, the, the whole creation of the new man. So we, we see increasingly demonic and blasphemous images and languages used, uh, and it's becoming the norm. I was amazed. I was coming out on the plane, and I'm focusing on my, on my talks, and I have a man on my left who's a middle-aged man and a man on my, le uh, um, on my right, middle-aged man. They both have tablets and they're both watching what I thought would be um, something like a 14 or 15-year-old would probably watch. It was terribly distracting. It was demonic and it was violent. And, I'm, uh, and, I, and I had to spend four hours, five hours on this plane with these two men watching uh, I, apparently two or three movies of the most uh, demonic and blasphemous images. Um, and I, I can't imagine, now these are grown men, and I, what the, the young men and young women are doing with their tablets who are uh, in the schools today 
what kind of things that the kids are being exposed to, and that is just five hours on a plane. Now, over five, 10, 15 years in the public school, what are they gonna be exposed to? So the new man that is being formed, the inversion of Christ uh, and the, the demonic activity is another basic reason why we need to remain faithful and not, and not lose hope. Uh, there is a, also this totalitarian spirit and approach of indoctrination in terms of sexual perversity, transgenderism, and all the rest, which is very pre uh, prevalent today. And then just the total spiritual bankruptcy uh, that, is, that we're seeing in, in, in the church, in the uh, schools today. One of the reasons that pe people don't, maybe don't think about, it, and one of the things I've seen a lot of parents struggle with and we've struggled with is this, uh, the, the, the question of the internet. And it's, uh, I don't know how you all are doing with it, but it is a struggle when children get uh, exposed at a young age to a computer screen. Uh, the, 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 the addiction that can follow uh, is, is, is really destructive for their spiritual life. And it is uh, uh, all around the world, I'm sure it's the case here in California, at younger and younger ages, children are getting exposed and, and are expecting to come to school with their laptop or with their tablet, and it becomes a way of life from a very young age. But it's been shown by a number of studies that this is very destructive, not just for their attention span, but for their development of their minds. So one of the, another thing that we need to avoid and we can avoid and we should avoid in home education is the exposure and the addiction of the computer or the TV screen or whatever it is that, that, that they might be uh, watching. It creates unsocial behavior, indifference towards learning, and also ag aggressive behavior. So another danger that is, is present. This made an impression on me when I was doing research for this that the Baptists, um, the Baptists, which I guess is the largest Protestant group in America, have been, I'm not sure if they, they've carried it out, but they've been planning and discussing a mass exodus from public schools for some time. And if they, if they, are, if they understand what's at stake, and they, the people in the Baptists, they understand uh, the, uh, the urgency of homeschooling, well, I think the Orthodox should, should definitely understand it as well. Uh, it says in this, in this document that I found, as Christians, we ought to be planning a Christian education future for our children. Christian parents have a duty to provide their children with a Christian education. And truly, in, in Scripture, the, it's very clear in the Proverbs and elsewhere that that is the main, one of the main tasks of the parent is not education per se, but formation of the soul of the child. And if, when we stand before the the judgment seat of our Lord, uh, he's not going to ask us if they got into Harvard or if they, did it, or they were lawyers or doctors. He's going to ask us if they were faithful and if they, were, um, uh, they had made progress in purification and illumination and deification, the spiritual life. And he says here, a few hours at Sunday school in a church will not have a great influence on the faith and worldview of the child uh, than 40 or 50 hours a week in, uh, at the public school. So they get that, and we should too. Uh, another quote here, the acquisition of complete control over the education of the youth of a state is an integral part of controlling the population. These are, 
these are, these are communist socialist ideas uh, that are behind uh, uh, all state education, even in America. Uh, famously, Father Sierra from Rose was, who said uh, it was, well, he repeated it. I, I don't know if he actually said it, but that what they experienced in Russia yesterday, we all experience in America today. And the reason why that's the case is because communism and capitalism are two sides of the same coin. They're both godless and they're both uh, run by um, uh, greed and, and, and by passion and not virtue. And they're also totalitarian in terms of their spirit. One is a totalitarian system, a political system. Another one is an is a economic system, but they're both totalitarian. So this, this spirit of, of, uh, of control by the state is um, very likely to be our future here. It already, it already is, actually. Finally, and this is the last thing, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about faith, question of faith, uh, and then we'll, we'll open it up for uh, questions or, or we'll, we'll adjourn. Um, we're heading again to the secret schools. You know what the secret schools are in Greece? During the Turkish period, the, the, uh, the Christians had secret schools. They were forbidden to have schools by the Turks. So they went underground. They had in the churches or in the homes, the priests or whoever was educated in the, in the community, in the villages, they would teach the children using uh, the liturgical books of the church. And uh, the great educator and apostle to Greece, St. Cosmas uh, Etelos, said famously when he preached and went around Greece during this period, at the end of this period in the 1700s, he said to them all, you must uh, educate your children, open up schools if possible, uh, but educate your children and uh, for the purpose of what? And this is what I'll get into in my second talk. For the purpose of learning the faith and reading the scriptures. He did not go around Greece to open up schools per se so they may become educated, but that they might become educated in order to learn the faith. And this is where we're headed. And this is why we have to understand our role is not uh, to um, have great ideas for our children's educational future, but to have, uh, be focused on the preservation of the faith, just like St. Cosmas was with the Greeks. That's why we're educating them. That's why, that's the role of education in their life. If it's beneficial and salvific, that's, what, that's the end of their education, to serve uh, their salvation and to serve the church. Uh, so, a few words, and then I'll close in, uh, with some, some, some thoughts on, on faith today. Homeschooling is, a, is a, as I said, a major part of our struggle to save our children from the hostile environment of contemporary education, and it's a place where we create these oases of Christian formation. Uh, again, as I said, it's not a personal decision only. It's an ecclesiastical need. Uh, it's, a, um, it's not about better education. It's about salvation. It's about s survival as we go forward as Christians. And it's, necessary, it's a necessary response to anyone who's seeking salvation and seeking to be a true Christian and to raise true Christians. So it's imperative for our life, if not for our survival as Orthodox Christians, it's imperative for our spiritual life. And so... Although we struggle now and we day to day, we're going to struggle and to uh, become better at what we do for our children. Uh, always keep in mind that we're heading into very difficult days, uh, likely of persecution eventually. 
And if um, we're going to remain faithful, then we need to uh, come back to our children and, 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 and go deeper. Uh, and so homeschooling facilitates all that. We talk about faith a lot, and uh, two words about that, because Father said in the beginning, it brought me to mind, uh, we publish a lot of things, uh, try to publish a lot of things supporting the faith, the Orthodox Confession of Faith. And many times when we talk about faith, we, we have in mind this confession, and, but really there's, there's two kinds of faith, and both of them are necessary. Both of them are necessary. The first is a prerequisite for the second. The first kind of faith is the confession of faith that we make as Orthodox Christians. And this is the foundation upon which then we can live a spiritual life. Without this foundation, there is no spiritual life. Uh, and to put it in a, in a figurative way, uh, the confession of the faith, of the Orthodox faith, which is the presupposition for the spiritual life, is kind of what can be seen as the, the, the fence or the wall around the the house of faith, which is trust in God. So uh, in order for us to go deeper in the life of the church, we have to first establish this, these boundaries. Uh, that's what the term was used in the ecumenical councils to, to, to describe the decisions of the fathers was exactly this word, oros, which is boundary. So what were the fathers doing in the ecumenical councils? They were laying down the boundaries and they were saying outside of these boundaries, do not go because salvation is not attainable. Salvation is the whole reason for the existence of the church, the whole reason for the incarnation, the whole reason for everything that Christ did for us. Everything he did for us was for one reason. It was for our salvation. So everything the fathers have done and everything that has been accomplished in the ecumenical councils was for our salvation. But that is not enough. Confession of the faith is not enough. We have to go deeper in the spiritual life. We have to go deeper and increase the trust. And that's the second kind of faith. So when we talk about faith, there's two kinds, and both of them are necessary. And the second comes about when we go deeper into purification and prayer and repentance. Uh, then trust increases. So um, you can see this throughout the, the scriptures. You can see this throughout the scriptures. All of the great miracles of the Lord had as a presupposition faith and repentance. So if we, when we approach the Lord, whether it be in the mysteries or in our prayer, there are presuppositions, and they are this, these two kinds of faith. The confession of his divinity, which is the same thing as to say the confession of the Orthodox faith, and then trust in him. And according to your faith, the miracle happens, he says in the gospel. But according to our trust in him, the grace of God is imparted to us in the holy mysteries. Uh, so this, this, two kind, this twofold faith, uh, have it in mind, and in your own life, but also in the life of your children, when you're trying to impart the Orthodox faith during home, in, in, in homeschooling, there's always these, these two aspects that you have to impart to them. Uh, the, they have to understand the boundaries and the foundation of their life, which is the confession of Christ's divinity and this church, and then they have to go deeper in trusting him. And then this, this uh, uh, will be salvation for them. And this is what this image at the end is meant to imply uh, and passing on of the faith from one generation to another. This is the future of, uh, of orthodoxy. It's going to be in the small homes uh, between parents and families, the small chapels and churches uh, in, uh, in, in the catacombs of the future. This is where orthodoxy is going to flourish, and we need to do that. We need to go back to the basis. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. I love you.